1: You got this. Adidas.
0: And welcome back to the clear Jets podcast where I host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, Michael, the Jets 2022 season has officially come to a disappointing end after quite the collapse uh, over the last seven games or so. We didn't do a podcast last week. Uh, we were too sad. And then some other stuff popped up throughout the week. It didn't feel really right to talk about it and then it was like all right well let's just see what happens this sunday and then we can kind of take in the season as a whole um kind of felt like the season ended last week in seattle and then this game against miami was i don't know a bit of a fever dream a flacco mike remmers cedric oboehi tony adams fever dream but it has come to an end michael uh we'll spend some time i guess talking about that game talking about the seattle game but This podcast, Michael, I mean, we we could look ahead a little bit, make some predictions, some early predictions about the big offseason up ahead. So with that being said, Michael, the people haven't heard from you, haven't heard your voice in a little over a week. How are you doing, man?
1: I think I'm doing okay. It's a good way to put it. I'm not going to say it's doing too positive when your team loses six games in a row to close the season. But I will say, and I won't speak for you, but I think both of us, have kind of gone through a sort of uh kind of sports fan epiphany if you will kind of realizing how we should manage our fandom a little <laughs> bit better and I guess we kind of go through this every single year because every jet season ends in disappointment in di- various different forms of of disappointment you know different types of it but um I think with this season especially with the way it just turned from positive to negative so quickly it is kind of brought me back to that mindset of trying to figure out like okay what is the best way for me to manage being a fan of the team because sports fandom is such a weird thing to where it's like you invest your emotions into something that you have zero control over and it's like you live and die with it and when everything's going well it's like the best feeling in the world and then when everything's not going well it's the worst feeling in the world but Inevitably, more often than not, it's going to go to that negative side because guess what? Only one team every year is going to achieve that ultimate goal, and everyone else is going to be left feeling disappointed. So, um, so you can't control it, and I think that's ultimately the thing that both of us have tried to come back to in the middle of all well, this. It's like, okay, look, we can't. We have no control over what's going on, so we could sit here and cry about it and put angry tweets out. Although I kind of continue to do that anyway, yeah, um, Michael, I will to, say you
0: have you, become increasingly unhinged on Twitter over the last month or so. That's true, and it's been I pretty it, entertaining to watch the people. The people are liking watching uh, unhinged Nania yeah. on Twitter with your Lake and Tomlinson tweets, and your all caps angry about the Jets playing their starters I, in this game. I got—I gotta manage
1: that better, but um, deep down, despite despite that don't don't judge judge you're
0: you're in in a different situation than a lot of fans i mean your whole your whole life i mean not your whole life but your day to day you you do this for a living and you have to talk about the jets um so it does consume you maybe a little bit more than the average fan but i think no i mean every single year i I have that same moment there's always the one loss that breaks me and then you know i'm sad about it for about a day and then i feel like i'm able to to snap back and, and be okay for the rest of the season i go numb emotionally numb and i think honestly the Brees hall avt injury kind of did that for me so earlier in the season not to say that i wasn't bummed plenty of times throughout the season but once Brees and avt went down i think my you know yeah i guess my expectations for the year kind of changed yeah, honestly the, change the, tw- the, expectations, the, the yeah. 2020 season i don't think i've ever really recovered from that because up until yeah. that point <laughs> i really every year was you know every game felt like uh live or die emotionally and then 2020 just kind of broke me and so yeah i feel like i have a healthier relationship with the jets but i'm sure if you're listening to this podcast you too might have a problem with the jets and maybe we can and that's why you're a, here we're yeah we can come up with the a lifeline
1: so we're uh yeah neither of us have degrees in psychology but i we're should just give out your number to, uh, yeah that, that works yeah well. if you
0: have an issue with the jets <laughs> you can call michael at 1-800 um all right well michael there is a lot to discuss this podcast is going to come out on monday and so there's a chance that by the time you are listening to this Maybe some news is already broken. It is Black Monday in the NFL. It's possible Michael Floor gets fired. It's possible other staff changes happen. We'll talk about them. Um, we're going to make some, some quick predictions. So we might look like geniuses, idiots, or something in between, I will say, based off of uh, Sala's pre- post-game press conference. And again, this might look like a cold take by the time you're listening to this. I think he's going to take a few days before they would make a move because he said he has to go through his evaluation. Now, maybe that's just coach speak. Um, but I do, I don't think Saul is the guy to turn around the next day and fire the OC. Like, I think if LaFleur gets fired, uh, maybe that's a bad, what do you think? I mean, do do you, well, I'll actually, you know what? I take all that back. What do you think, Michael? What do you think happens with Michael Floor, including when they might announce it? Do you think that by the time the, the people are listening to this podcast on Monday, Michael Floor is no longer the OC of the New York Jets, or do you think Saul is giving him a uh, you know, uh, support, or do you think it's kind of something in the middle where he's noncommittal committal and maybe we'll see something by the end of the week? What's what's your your vibe on the floor?
1: I don't think he'll get fired. However, I think the response that Salah gave in that press conference definitely has me thinking the chances are higher than I thought they were um, prior to those comments, because you know, usually you know Salah is very positive, very um, you know committal maybe that's the right word because even you know if he's yeah, not he actually committing something he's supportive you know and he leaves it as you know he, he commits to them as much as he can without you know actually committing to them but in this situation it was it felt kind of open-ended and it's you know by solid standards it's definitely uh not close to what he usually does so i think there's a very real chance especially because you know you lose six games in a row to close the season and it's Probably, I mean, what's the split? Like 80% offense, 10% special teams, 10% defense. And you don't yeah. score a touchdown in the last three games. So it's like someone's got to pay for it. And, you know, I've I've advocated for Michael for, um, but just in the sense that I think some of the anger directed at him can be a little misplaced because, you know, sometimes there are examples of, okay, we're not scoring because guys aren't hitting throws. And, you know, guys are running wide open and passes aren't just being completed. So sometimes I think he gets a little bit too much flack. But at this point, I would totally understand it if they fire him. I would not complain about that at all. But at the same time, if they bring him back, I would understand that, too. And I think he can um, prove to be a good play caller if he uh, gets a shot to do it with a good quarterback next year. So I think he's going to stick around and the staff changes are mostly going to focus on the assistance i think yeah. we'll see a few changes there but um i could absolutely see Lafleur being fired as well
0: well yeah i mean that's that's the thing they're gonna have to weigh i mean clearly the offensive performance especially in december was unacceptable and you can make the excuses of look he hasn't really had consistent quarterback play at all he had a few games with mike white then mike white gets injured i i also believe and you know mike white said he was playing with five broken ribs in that seattle game you could clearly see it Maybe it doesn't explain all the negative plays Mike White had. In fact, maybe we'll circle back to that since we didn't really talk about it last week in a little bit, but we'll stick with the floor here. Um, hasn't had good quarterback play. The offensive rebuild, the offensive line rebuild from Joe Douglas has certainly not come to fruition. And you can blame injuries from to, to Becton and AVT on that. You can blame free agent signings like Lakin and Tomlinson and Connor McGovern and George fan. And I mean, I guess Dwayne Brown, I mean, they haven't really lived up maybe to expectations. I think given the injuries they suffered, if you were to tell me they would lose AVT in week seven, you were to tell me they'd lose Becton in training camp, the offensive line and, you know, numerous injuries throughout that the offensive line performs. Okay. I guess, but no push in the run game, which is supposed to be the identity of this offense. They lose Brees hall, Elijah Moore, honestly. And I guess we'll, We'll probably do a podcast that'll be like you know superlatives of the year, but early pick for most disappointing uh, player of the season, Elijah Moore. I think uh, compared to what we expected from him coming into the year, there are certainly worse players. You could say, I mean, obviously Zach Wilson was quite the letdown. Um, th- there's other ones we could go through, but Elijah Moore. If you were to tell me he'd have one touchdown, but he wouldn't really. Uh, did he miss any g- games due to injury, or did he just miss the mm-hmm. the one with suspension and then? If you were to tell me Elijah Moore had one touchdown and statistically worse than his rookie year and he played in every game except one, uh, I would have been utterly shocked. I mean, so the type of season that Elijah Moore had, there's plenty of excuses to be made for LaFleur. But the fact of the matter is this, this Jets defense was, for the most part, lights out this year. I mean, uh, I saw the stat on Twitter. It was like they had, what was it, five losses or the defense allowed one or, or fewer touchdowns the fact that this offense couldn't put together anything and I mean, anything, and it's not just, you know, the quarterbacks, it's even just the lack of creativity from the floor this year that we saw in 2021 when things went South and they had to have different quarterbacks or the offense wasn't going too well. I mean, you saw the floor, open the bag. You saw him not be as predictable and I get their injuries and quarterback play and, and whatever, but man, the offensive performance was not good enough. But with that being said, gun to my head. I had to make a prediction. I don't think they fire LaFleur. I think Salah, first of all, I think that connection is, is too strong between LaFleur and, and Salah. And that's the risky run when the head coach hires his his buddies. And I'm, I don't think that's why Michael Floor got the job. In fact, I actually think Michael Floor was one of the more attractive parts of hiring Salah because you figured you're getting a guy who's under Kyle Shanahan, whose brother's the coach of the Packers, maybe this is the next head coach of the league. It's not that was not a nepotism hire, but this is the problem when you have your head coaches is, is buddies with one of the coordinators. It happened to Rex, it happened to Bowles, it happened to Gase. Then they don't really want to fire him. And I, I do think push comes to shove, would Sala do it? Yes, but I think that because Shanahan gave Sala another year when people in San Francisco wanted Robert Sala fired as the defensive coordinator. Shanahan backed him up. He gave him another year. And then we know what happened from there. They went to the Super Bowl. and Also, I think LaFleur is maybe better than fans think he is. I don't think he's a great offensive coordinator, but I think he's an average to at times above average offensive coordinator. So right. with that said, um, any other thoughts on the floor? I mean, I, I think I know a lot of fans want him fired. People want uh, somebody's head to roll for the, for this collapse. I, I think the only other argument you could give for, for LaFleur is Zach Wilson's development, and that brings me to another point. I tweeted this out earlier in the week. It, people have run with it a little bit, but obviously, what happened with uh, with Greg Knapp tragic. Um, you know, him passing away about a month after the Jets drafted Zach Wilson, and that was their plan was to have, okay, Lafleur's the OC. You have Greg Knapp, who's the vet, who's developed quarterbacks to oversee the offense and oversee Zach Wilson's development, and then they have this guy Rob Calabrese who. I guess maybe they heard about throughout the league as maybe he's the next wonder kid. He's a bright offensive mind. You go and look at Calabrese's resume, Wagner. I mean, offensive coordinator and and QB's coach for Wagner, and then he's the offensive quality control coach of the Broncos for two seasons, and then he's the Jets' QB coach. And as it turned out, the guy, the main guy, tasked with developing Zach Wilson. I mean, to the point where they even brought in I I think in 2021, the Jets did the best they could handling the Greg Knapp situation. They brought in Kavanaugh. They brought in John Beck in the middle of the season. I think you did see some strides from Zach Wilson. But in retrospect, the biggest mistake the Jets made in terms of developing Zach Wilson this season, and look, this isn't to absolve Zach Wilson of of blame. I mean, he certainly is accountable for his performances here. But to leave his development in the hands of Rob Calabrese and Michael Floor, but Lafleur is the OC. He oversees the whole offense. It's Calabrese that handles him on the day-to-day and on the sidelines. Uh, To leave it in a critical year for his development after an up-and-down rookie season was quarterback malpractice. So, Michael, with that being said, do you think do you think Zach's development affects the the possibility the floor gets fired? And then, what do you think about Calabrese? Because I think somebody has to go. Maybe it's not fair. They. Gave maybe too big of a job and and the project that Zach Wilson became, but I don't see any way you can keep Calabrese as the QB coach.
1: Well, yeah, I, I mean to start with Lafleur, I guess, or I mean we have been talking about, him, but to finish off, I guess, with Lafleur. Um, so first, I guess I'll try to throw out some positives to defend him. I would say that the separation that he generates for his receivers is probably much better than what fans realize because the quarterbacks just flat out don't hit the throws this year and you know you could blame it on the ocs for not coaching them or putting them in the best spots or whatever but like we all watch zach wilson this year we all watched joe flacco and we all watched mike white in that seahawks game the jets got the worst accuracy from quarterbacks in the league this year and that's backed up by any metric and or by eyeballs that, and eyeballs as well and that's something that the you know the coach can't control for they can control for a lot of things but they can't make you hit the throws and i on film see a lot of plays that should be hit i mean look at the jaguars game uzama's wide open for a touchdown strebler misses it um you go back to both patriots games plenty of wide open guys that were not being hit for potential touchdowns even games
0: they won denver green bay yeah even games
1: they won there were plays that were missed so i mean the separation that he generates, I think, is average. I think he and I think he adjusts better within the season than give him credit for. I mean, maybe takes longer sometimes than you would, you know, than you would think should be ideal. But I mean last season, you know, they started as a twelve personnel team, they switched to an eleven personnel team and that wasn't working. Then you go to this season. I mean, they had to cycle through all these different quarterbacks and, you know, he found ways to make Zach Wilson look competent at times such as that Buffalo game where they found that great quick passing game plan. Um, Mike white comes in and I think he switched up the offense, made it a little bit better fit to Mike white. Um, There's a short run with Chris Trevler where they were ready to put him in there and they kind of looked confident for a little bit. So in, and, and they made other changes as well. You know, they uh, benched James Robinson, Michael Carter brought Bam Knight up. Uh, so I think he's done. Fertilized better, more in the think. slot put Elijah Moore in the slot. They made that switch with Garrett Garrett Wilson's rookie year.
0: Garrett Wilson's rookie year. Some credit should maybe go to the floor. I mean, (laughs) maybe. Trying to find something. I mean,
1: I think he does a good job of, you know, isolating Garrett and putting him in good matchups and calling routes that work for him. So, yeah, I mean, those are some of the positives. And then negatively, I think there isn't enough schemed up offense. You know, anyone who watched that Lions game against the Packers, Um, tonight to close out the regular season because I just watched it. So it's fresh on the mind. But how much like good, easy offense is schemed up? I mean, the trick plays are successful Um, when it's third or fourth and short. Just there's always a quick out that's right there. Doesn't feel like there's enough of that generated by LaFleur. I think he does a good job of creating matchups like for Garrett Wilson. Uh, I think Corey Davis, he gives him good opportunities to get catches over the middle um and stuff like that but like easy offense where you're just beating the defensive coordinator and creating something easy i don't think there's enough of that and then the trick plays generally are not successful i would say there's screens and end arounds and jet sweeps and stuff like that probably is a really bad success rate so that's concerning too um yeah. And then I think there are some times where they're a little predictable in terms of, you know, run pass and the down and distance and stuff like that. So, so there are concerns. I would not argue that he's good or even average. I'd say maybe he's slightly below right now, but at the same time, it's very hard to work around some of the stuff he's had to work around. So I'm in the middle. I could go either way on the floor, stay or go. I don't know what they're going to do And either what either direction they go. I could understand it. Um, but I then feel, to go, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I asked ahead, you about calories.
0: No, I asked you about calibres, But I was gonna just because we went on for the floor a little bit, a little bit longer there. I do feel like if you gave the floor a guy like Derek Carr or you gave him even Jimmy Garoppolo, I think the opinion of the floor is a lot higher. I do think he's one of those guys. He might be an average co- offensive coordinator, but you give him an above average to average quarterback play, and that like, oh, guy, this guy's a solid offensive coordinator. But you give an average offensive coordinator horrific. Quarterback play, and this is what happens. But I don't think he's been bad enough to. Well, I don't know. The last month has been pretty bad. Whole body work, though. Yeah. I mean,
1: I don't know. And and another thing that's just so hard is I think building an offense around Zach was or has been such a difficult task because it's like, what really are you supposed to build around? And I know everyone points to, you know, get him on the move more and get him rolling out, but that hasn't really worked either. I mean, the. I would say the majority of the bad interceptions he's thrown and some of his worst plays are when he's on the move. I, and you know, statistically that's backed up. You look at his stats on rollouts or when he's, you know, running at a higher speed when he's outside the pocket, all these splits, he's league worst in the majority of them. So he's not good outside the pocket. He's not good inside the pocket. Like what are you supposed to do? Uh, So I, I think it's kind of been hard for him to figure out like, what is our identity supposed to be with him in there? And then, you know, Mike White got in there when he was healthy. I think the offense looked really good for those three games. You know, they couldn't finish in the red zone in Minnesota, unfortunately. But, you know, that's something that over the course of a whole season could have been ironed out. It was just one game. But uh, obviously Mike White comes back and he was not healthy in that game. So, I don't know. I think there are, um, when you dig into it, some reasons to back him up. But uh, I guess to talk about Calabrese a little bit. I think he's one of the guys that um, should be held accountable, and that's not to you know hold him to the highest standard because he's a rookie at his position as well. But uh, if the Jets are going to turn Zach Wilson around like they claim they want to, uh, and, and I do believe that they want to do that, it's not like Zach Wilson's going to be easy to move um, with that contract. Um, they're going to need a more veteran coach like they you know, initially planned to have, and it, in hindsight. Uh, I'm not sure why we were more critical of their decision to not account for that when, you know, the unfortunate loss happened because it just, you know, the quarterback room is rookie offensive coordinator who has to call the plays and run the whole offense and rookie quarterback coach who's been in the NFL for two years as a quality control coach for the awful Broncos. So, like, I'm not really sure what they were doing there. Well, in 2021, they they, they brought in Kavanaugh
0: and then they brought in Beck. Yeah. And you did see Zach improve with, with John Beck in the building, I felt. But, yeah, the, the mistake was this this last offseason. And the the right. company line was we wanted to limit the voices in Zach's ear. I also think they felt that having Joe Flacco in the quarterback room was kind of the veteran presence to maybe help develop him. That would probably be my guess as well. But, yeah, it deserved so much more criticism because they entrusted uh, – I mean, I don't think maybe they thought that Zach Wilson be as raw and as much of a project as he ultimately was, but they entrusted into a bunch of rookies, and that I mean, you can you can question how the Jets built around Darnold on the field, but I think you you know I think the Jets did their best building around Zach Wilson on the field. It's not perfect, but for a rookie quarterback pick taken that high, it's never that perfect. It's never doesn't ever look that good, and yeah. the Jets gave him weapons. They did build an offensive line that fell fell apart, obviously, but they gave him weapons. I feel like they gave him a good defense, especially this year, but the coaching on the offense side of the ball, you're right. They didn't – we should have been more critical of that, especially entering this year, that they didn't bring somebody in, like a Gary Kubiak or just a veteran offensive mind to kind of oversee the quarterback's development because it wasn't like leaving that rookie year. A lot of people were high on Zach Wilson or felt good about Zach Wilson's rookie year, you know? Like we saw some flashes towards the end that made us optimistic, but we're lying if if we're saying that we thought it was guaranteed that he'd be great. It was like, all right, right. can he, you know, based off his rookie year, you were going to need the Josh Allen trajectory, and they obviously aren't there um, through two years. Right. Um, so, I mean, I would, I would start going. with Cal Brees
1: and and, you know, maybe you keep him around as an assistant or something, but you have to get a new quarterback coach, a veteran quarterback coach, um, to improve that position and it's not just for Zach Wilson it's for whoever they bring in that quarterback I mean if you're going to get a veteran quarterback what is Calabrese can offer for Derek Carr or for Jimmy Garoppolo I'm, I'm sorry I you know maybe he's a lot better than we realize or he's some secret football genius but I don't know how he's going to help one of those guys so I would serve well, a- that
0: that's the, I know I'm cutting you off again, but that's the that's the thing is like we don't like to speak about things we don't really know about because it's hard to know exactly the type of coach that Calabrese is. But the one thing that's objective, and you mentioned it when when talking about the Jets, wa- if the Jets want to develop Zach Wilson, the one thing that is clear is the voice that's in his ear, not working. So they got to change it. Calabrese might be a good coach, and just Zach Wilson's the bad player. But either way, you got to find the, the the right fit. I do believe in finding the right fit between player and coach. Look at Tua, who obviously was not as bad as Zach Wilson was, but he was viewed upon he was viewed as a bust after his first two seasons. They bring in a guy like Mike McDaniel, who's able to instill confidence into in him and unlock him. I'm not expecting that was Zach Wilson, but changing the voice in Zach Wilson's head could do wonders. Sorry, go on.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought up that point, though about you know, not exactly knowing who the coach is. And I think that's before we continue discussing coaches, I think that's important to bring up regarding, you know, any discussion about coaches, because I think evaluating coaches is so hard as an outsider, because I think the most important aspects of coaching that are the most impactful, that have the most direct effect on the game are impossible for us to really gauge. And I'll bring up an example. And you were kind of um getting on me for this when we were discussing <laughs> it but during the game don't make, today, don't make me sound like, too mean no and no, i'm gonna make myself sound like kind of an idiot so during the game i was messaging messaging you and you called me joe beningo for this i said what exactly I mean, does Salah provide on game day that's what i said just based on like a couple shots of him you know standing on the sidelines and it's like you know I maybe my point has some credence but i mean you're saying like you know we don't know what he's saying when he's off camera like we're basing it off of you know 30 seconds on tv and, that, and that's true we really don't know because the effect that the coaches have the most direct effect they have in the game is you know what are they telling players when they make a mistake in practice what are they telling them at halftime or on the bench after they make a mistake in the game how are they talking to these guys face to face what kind of presence do they have and you know effect and respect in the locker room these are things we don't really know and you know people will say things like they'll interview the players in a press conference and they'll say yeah we respect the coach we love them whatever but you know that's all just a press conference they're never gonna tell you the truth so the bottom line is we don't know and you know Calabrese is a perfect example there there obviously has to be a reason he's in the spot despite his resume obviously he crushed his interview most likely And probably is a great reputation among people who have worked with them. So it's stuff like that we can't really gauge. And that's why it's so hard to say, like, you know, point fingers and say who should be fired, who shouldn't be fired, because we don't know for sure how good these guys are coaching without actually being in the organization. Yeah, especially the position guys more than anything. I mean, at least with the, you know, play callers, we can kind of look at it and we can see the play calling and the the on field effect in that way, but position coaches that we don't really know because Calbrisa could so easily be, you know, he's a quarterback mastermind that we don't even know. But Zach Wilson's just bad at playing quarterback. It could be that simple. Um so we don't really know. But at the same time, uh it does feel like the Jets have to show some accountability here. And you know, some people are gonna have to be held accountable. And it is a performance business at the end of the day. Uh, So that brings me to the next guy I think should be held accountable. John Benton, offensive line coach. This one I think is a must do because the offensive line this season was a complete mess. And yes, it was injured, all the excuses in the world, but like even when everyone was healthy at the end of the season, because they did have the majority of their, uh, you know, highly paid guys out there near the end of the season. We're not picking up blitzes. Um, we're running outside zone. And we don't know, am I passing the guy off? Am I going to the second level? No one knows what they're doing. These are veteran guys, and we're just letting both run and pass game. Unblocked guys come through at will throughout the season. Guys are regressing. Lakin Tomlinson, George Fant. Um, so I, th- I would go with Benton. I think that's a place where you can improve. So I guess those are the two I would focus on, or calabrese and benton but at the same time um it's important to remember what we just talked about if a guy gets fired and you don't agree with it or if he stays and you don't agree with it just remember that we really don't know what these guys bring to the table and, and don't bring to the table so there there's a lot of key information that it's hard for us to gauge
0: well and you kind of have to weigh the the balance and i do think that fans especially in the new york market don't ever want to hear this but there is a value to continuity i mean there is something there in terms of having the same system year in year out bringing in the players who have been in it for one two three years and you get to a certain point as an organization that the players know the system like the back of their hand and you see fewer mistakes on game days you see fewer penalties you, you see a more disciplined team Um, and you see a team that doesn't make as many mistakes. And a lot of times in the NFL, it's a team that makes the fewer mistakes. So uh, there is a value in continuity and fans when the results aren't there, especially for a fan base that has had to put up with just dog shit product for 12 straight years. Now they're frustrated. If as soon as we see, it's not working, it's you lump it in with the the previous 12 years and you're like, get rid of it. It has to go. You know, I see this with Sala. I mean, there's fans who want to fire Sala and, those fans deserve to stay miserable. And and I honestly, I, I I don't blame them because I'm a Jets fan too. And I know how frustrated this team has made me, but not to get too far away from the initial point. I I have no idea if Sala will turn out to be an amazing head coach or whatever, if the Jets will be a, a great organization under him. Who knows? We'll see. But I know one thing, they aren't going to get there by firing their head coach every two seasons. You're know, you not going to get there by just ripping it up down to the studs every two, three years. And I think Sala has shown you enough through two seasons to feel optimistic about what he can do. Are there issues? Absolutely. But you look at the defensive turnaround. You look at the culture he's tried to instill. You look at the start of this year when everybody was healthy. Yes, the collapse was bad, and people are going to have to pay for it. But to then turn that into Sala's trash and they got to fire him, it's like, yeah, and who are you going to hire? Who's going to come here after you you fire that guy who is respected by every player and every coach he's ever worked with from, from what we've heard, you know, going back to your earlier point, we don't really know, but from what we've heard, it's is well respected from listening to the interviews. He's a smart guy. He's emotionally intelligent. I believe in Robert Sala. I do think he's going to get it together. I think he can't, it's hard to judge these guys with the quarterback play they've had for two years. And the one guy you maybe can direct some blame at would be Joe Douglas. Um, what do you think about that Michael? We've been very pro jody and obviously the 2022 offseason I think you still could give it an A, even with Blake and Tomlinson you know not eating too many victory donuts or whatever and and just completely bottoming out this year. But the draft that Joe Douglas had this, in this 2022 offseason bringing in DJ Reed that's enough for me to feel good about Jody, but then you look at that 2020 draft and then you look at that 2021 draft. And then you look at some of those free agent signings and then you look at this offensive line, which was supposed to be a specialty. And maybe we should be questioning Joe Douglas more. What do you think about, about Joe D and and what is your, you know, appraisal of of the job he's done as GM so far?
1: I'm going to pair Douglas up with Salah and some of the points you just made. I think it's pretty clear where we're at right now. One more year. You have one more year to make the playoffs and prove that this is going in a winning direction because you know this is the i mean what third year in a row now i feel like i'm gonna say the same thing about douglas where it's like i think there's a good process i think you see a lot of good moves and you see him prioritizing the right things going about business the right way kind of kind of checking all the boxes you want to check but at the same time you look at the win loss and you're like we're still not there and we're also not even as close as you want to be so Yes, there's been improvement. I know he inherited a bad team and, you know, start to two wins, get to four and out of seven. So it is trending up. But, you know, we've talked about this before. We were saying this, you know, at midseason when we thought they should be a playoff team. Um, progression in the NFL doesn't always have to be that slow. Like it's This is a league where you can go from you know, like the Jaguars just did or the it's Giants a league where, and the Giants it's a league where you can go from the bottom to the top very quickly. It doesn't always have to be this elongated process. And if it does go that way and it ends in sustained winning, you know, that's perfectly okay, but at the same time there's only so much rope you can give. Even if there is slight incremental progress, you have to see the results at some point. And, you know, again, I like the majority of what Douglas does in terms of process what he prioritizes it's all good, but at the same time, three straight losing seasons, you know, seven and 10 after a seven and four start, it, it's not great. And the offensive line, I mean, they prioritized it this offseason. They spent money on Lakin Tomlinson. Um, and, you know, you go back to previous offseasons, back to back first round picks, uh, big money free agents in Fant and Fanton McGovern. So it's not like he's ignored it, but it's just the. I guess the scouting needs to be better because it doesn't seem like these guys connect in terms of their on field fit. Um, We've guys coming in here and regressing like Lakin Tomlinson, um, you know, so I think the injuries have been tough on the offensive line, but Lakin Tomlinson was an enormous, enormous miss. And, you know, I, I was going off about it during this game. <laughs> Cause he had, some... I don't
0: think, I don't think he's a friend of the pod. Anytime so, soon? That's
1: not not very likely. <laughs> uh, yeah, he had some whiffs early in this game, but I mean, um, he's just extremely bad this year, and uh, th- that's not exaggerating. It-, it would be one thing if it were like, okay, here's this big money free agent. He's playing average, like because like that's what Carl Lawson's doing. You know, I'm disappointed in Carl Lawson, and I think they should move on for the cap savings. But that's not because he's a bad player. It's because he's just not playing to what he's getting paid. Lakin Tomlinson was bad this year and he dragged the entire offensive line down. So yeah, I mean, we can get into the contract, you know, details and all that another day, but you know, they will have to eat some dead money to cut him, but they do open up more space than
0: they will have to eat in
1: dead money. Like I know um, we
0: should say there's conflicting information out here about it. I've seen a lot of people push back on that, including the over the cap guy. Who I I mean it does make somewhat of sense that that seems too good to be true that they could get out of it with the post June first because didn't they guarantee him like twenty something million dollars and they've only paid him ten so I don't know I'm gonna be completely honest I don't I don't know but you seem pretty confident in spot track the Rich Samini tweet that we that I posted and sent to you seems to back up the spot track thing that they can I know I cut you off before you could even say that they could cut him designate him as post June 1st and right. spread the cap hit out a four and a half million the next two years. I think that's right. But then I saw the over the cap guy pushing back on that and I don't know. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't talk like to that be To be completely 100%. honest.
1: I'm not a thousand percent sure about all that, but if you compare them both, I think over the cap is showing you the ramifications of if, if they cut him right now, what those are like for the 2022 season um you know what the future numbers would be well spot track shows you if you cut them you know in this offseason what it would be for the future so i don't know they're they're conflicting numbers so it's kind of hard to understand but i believe that they can get out of it either either way the bottom line of the point here is that douglas had a huge swing and miss on that one and he deserves a lot of flack for that because that's a huge investment it was supposed to complete this offensive line. And as it turns out, other guys got hurt, and this was the one guy you could rely upon to be healthy, which is nice. But it actually didn't help (laughs) that he was healthy because he was bad. So uh, that's a signing that, if he could have hit that and got what they expected out of that signing, I really believe that could have added a win or or two just based on that (sighs) to this team. So uh, how much do you? That was a huge whiff
0: with the GM. How much do you grade? process over results because you could argue the lake and tomlinson the process of signing a guy who was in the same scheme in san francisco had been incredibly durable had gone toe-to-toe with aaron donald had been a pro bowler you know you felt pretty good about that signing we felt good about that signing it wasn't like they gave him egregious money i mean they paid him handsomely and for him to be this bad it looks bad but at the time it was like all right they got him on a good deal He's a great player. He's durable, scheme fit. What's not to like? And then he goes out there and has that type of year. I mean, and I should put the caveat in here, and this happens every year as seasons wraps up, and then you hear, oh, I was playing with a torn rotator cuff, or, oh, I was playing with a, I don't know, lacerated kidney. Okay, maybe not that. Hopefully not that. But, like, you know, they're playing with some crazy injury the entire season. All these guys are banged up, and maybe that's affecting Lakin. We should throw that out there. Maybe he's playing hurt. That's the only thing I can think of that would explain the drop-off. But is he really just a, a Trent Williams merchant? Is it just because he was playing right next to one of the best left tackles in, in football in San Fran and that was able to to hide some of his issues? Because you're right. He You can make an argument he's been the worst player on the team this year.
1: Right, and, and that's a good question because, you know, from a process standpoint, it's like that's such a hard thing to – Foresee, you know, in- injuries are one thing, no one can predict that unless you're, you know, signing a known injury prone guy. Uh, injuries are pretty random, but when you get a decline like this, it's like, could Douglas have foreseen it? That's just hard for us to tell because you know, maybe they did look at his film and say, you know what, there are some questions here, but this is a probable pedigree, we could sell this really well. You know, he's a guy who's durable and he signed him for those reasons more and kind of overlook. Maybe potential issues they saw we don't know if that's how it went or if you know they signed a good player they scouted a good player and he just turned into a bad one randomly without them really being able to predict that so any one signing can kind of have a random kind of result where it goes either better than you expect or worse based on what you scouted but you got to look at it all as one big group and that brings me to what i think the main concern for douglas is and that's his free agency work. Overall, the free agency signings, and they've spent a lot of money over the past three off seasons, have not yielded enough for the money that they've spent. Um, I mean, you sit here now, and who are the you know legitimately good DJ free Reed. agent signings they've had? DJ Reed, and that's probably it. I would say Davis is decent, Conklin decent, but mm-hmm. beyond that, you know, pretty much everything hasn't, lived up to the money that they spent. I mean, uh Lawson and that was injury, but um, you know, Carl Lawson, disappointing. Lakin Tomlinson, huge miss. Jordan Whitehead, bad. Um, who else like Uzama, that was a bad one. McGovern fant. He's a sneaky, terrible run blocker. <laughs> that's a that's a little inside joke. i Michael I've, keeps texting apparently me.
0: I said that like three times. Michael keeps texting. He sends me a DM like once every two weeks. It's just like, Uzama is a sneaky bad blocker. Because I think you just turn <laughs> on the film and see him whiff. And it's like, I know he's bad. You could just say he's bad at blocking, at run blocking.
1: Yeah, but that that's another underrated sneaky, bad terrible. one. His, uh, his run blocking is very detrimental this season. The, and I, I just rewatched all of the run blocking reps this season. That was not an entertaining thing. It yeah, No wonder you're feeling burnt
0: out on Jets football. You went back and watched every single rushing rep. Definitely contributes. To it's January burnout. 8th, buddy. <laughs> we got eight months of this. I
1: rewatched all the run blocking reps, tracked the assists, good blocks on good runs, and who was to blame for allowing the bad runs. And I've three primary culprits for you. Tomlinson, this is in terms of efficiency not in terms of like total plays tomlinson dwayne brown and uzama those are the top three and you know brown you excuse he was a last ditch pickup to replace an injured starter and he's 37 years old he played with the torn uh shoulder whatever he had to shoulder cuff. injury rotator his cuff. yeah rotator cuff the whole season so you know that i understand but thompson uzama that's a lot of money you spend on those two guys to lead your own game and they were a this year so uh free agency record from douglas is the biggest thing that has to get better but the draft classes have trended up each year 2020 was not good but 2021 was better outside of the quarterback pick obviously yeah 2022 to was on that. 2022 was very
0: very very good and do you think 2020 oh, sorry that bought him a lot of leeway yeah i think the 2021 draft I, going back and looking at it you see all right zach wilson potentially all-time bust Trade up for Elijah, very Tucker, very good move, but injured. So he doesn't get the same amount of You know you don't feel the impact of that when he gets injured in week seven, but very good move. All right. Elijah Moore, big letdown compared to what we expected from him. Now I do think with better QB play, I think he's going to be better in 2023, but still big letdown. Michael Carter, big letdown this year as well. Big regression, Elijah Moore is the bigger letdown, but big regression for Michael Carter. Michael Carter the second, great pick. I think uh there's potential there with Jamie and Sherwood, Jeremy and Sherwood and Brandon Eccles, and we'll see about Hamza and Azaldine. But all in all, you look back at that 2021 class and look, you're not gonna hit on every single player in every draft. I think that's the misconception. It's like you're gonna have misses. You know, the twenty twenty two class may go down as the best Jets draft class of all time. And, you know, even if Jeremy Ruckert never plays another game for the Jets, you know, it's like you miss on picks. It happens, but you look at that 2021 draft and the way we felt about it leaving the draft and the way we felt about it a year ago today. Yeah. A lot different than how you look at it uh, right now, but I agree. They have trended up every year.
1: Yeah. I mean, on 2021, like the quarterback is, we always said it was going to be defined by that and they missed it. So that was a pretty big whiff, but I think this still has the potential to be a good class. I mean, AVT went healthy, that's a home run pick. He is a, And that's the guy they traded up for. So you want that to be a home run. Uh, He's a star when he's healthy. Elijah Moore, I think, is the biggest X factor for this class. I mean, we thought he had star potential as a rookie this year. Uh, Like you said, if you're just looking at the production, he's the most disappointing player this year because I thought he's going to be the best player in the team. And you get one touchdown and 29 yards a game, and he stayed healthy the whole season that's hard to you know spin any other way but at the same time i think he was missed a lot this year probably more than any other player on the team he did have some bad luck in that area and i think when he did get the ball you saw that same elusiveness and good hands so i still believe in him and we'll see if another quarterback can turn him around but uh yeah disappointing year two carter huge disappointment this year um just not the same elusiveness that we saw last year. He struggled with blocking drops. He had a key fumble in that bills game. Um, Some of his vision this year wasn't great. Just really struggled overall. So that's the biggest um, step back here, but you did get Michael Carter, the second in this draft who looks like a, you know, one of the top slot corners in the league. So, I mean, I think going forward, if you can get healthy AVT, Michael Carter, the second and Elijah Moore gets back to, you know, let's say he's a good, slot receiver you know a guy gives you four touchdowns 50 catches uh throughout the, the season like four, 50 yards a game something like that i think it's a solid draft class um you know despite missing on zach wilson but uh but yeah i think the bottom line back to the beginning of this conversation solid douglas they've give you, given you reasons to hope and they've given you reasons to be concerned so i think they both have one more year and you know if it's not clear cut this is a good football team a year from now, then it's time to move on.
0: Small side note, just because we were talking about Elijah Moore. And I was thinking about this earlier today when I was watching him. And you tell me if, if you think this is part of the issue with him, because when I looked at him, I, this year, I, it felt like he was a step slower. And then you go back and you think about the, the off season, they had him add all that muscle, try to make him a bigger more physical receiver to be on the outside. Curious to see what they do with his with his body composition uh this offseason. But I do think that that may have been the, the wrong move. Cause yeah, he was not as fast or as shifty seemingly as he was as a rookie or, or you go back and watch him in college. He just he looks slower. And I think of that, and I think that will be one of the the telling signs about this coaching staff is what they do with Garrett Wilson and Sauce Gardner in terms of their offseason regimen. Because, you know, for a rookie going into their second year, that's kind of when you see a, a change in the body comp. Uh they you know, they have a year in the NFL, they have officially a break. I mean, these guys they end their college season and then they go straight into training for the combine, straight into the draft, they're into mini camp, then they're at training camp, then they're a rookie. I mean, they have it's just nonstop for like two years for them. So they don't really ever get a chance to to sit back and even just add if they want to add any muscle. I mean, it's impossible when you're burning that many calories every day and Um, so that, that in between the first and second season, that's when you see the the body comp, I really hope they don't try to to have sauce pack on a lot of muscle or something like that. Cause I heard, I heard them mention that in, in mini camp and training camp and all right, maybe you can add, they they said something along the lines that I'm paraphrasing here. It was just like, uh, yeah, he's got to add some more NFL strength or whatever. It's like sauce is as physical as it comes in the NFL. He can hang with the big body guys, but his Slim frame allows him to, to keep up with like a guy like Tyree Kill and the faster receivers in the league. And look, if if Sauce hits the weights and adds you know some some weight this off season to make him maybe more durable, despite the fact he just played every single year, every single game this year, maybe it'll be okay. But it's just another thing to watch because it's like I felt like they messed with Elijah Moore and it did not look too good for him. And they've done that a few times, like Brandon Marshall. They had him slim down after twenty fifteen and a different completely different coaching staff just another example put on put him on the todd bulls diet and he slimmed down and he he lost a part of his game in 2016 he wasn't as physical and so see with garrett wilson well they do they try to have him bulk up and we'll see it could be for the good it's just something to watch when you want to evaluate coaching because as we said it's hard to evaluate these guys because we don't see them on a day-to-day basis well let's see how they handle these these prized rookies heading into the second year and see what they do because yeah, I don't agree with uh, – or I think that you can – looking back, you can say that maybe having Elijah Moore had that strength, was was a mistake. Although they thought he was going to play on the outside. So, you know, process over results again. Um, all right, I do I – have, I, have, I have a game here for us, Michael. But I, before we get to it and then we wrap up, we'll get out of here. Do we want to talk about the Seattle game at all? Because we didn't do the podcast afterwards. You were bummed. I was bummed. And then there was the whole scary thing with De- DeMar Hamlin the next day. And then it just kind of felt like, uh, should we do a podcast? And then it was late in the week and we were going to do one. And then it was just like, you know what? Let's just wait till Sunday. Let's just, it's, the season feels like it already ended. Let's just have it officially end. And then we can talk about it. But because that was like the season's on the line, everything broke their way. They can go to the playoffs. They get Mike White back. As it turned out, Buffalo beat New England. So that really would have been, this could have been the win and end game. It all comes down to this game against Seattle, and they just lay the, the most typical same old Jets goose egg that I've seen. And you call it the most embarrassing performance you've seen. Maybe you'll walk that back a little bit. Quite a few Jets fans, especially the older Jets fans, did not like that tweet, Michael. Um, I, I I disagree with it as well. I also think there's a few other ones. But no denying that that was an embarrassing Jets performance. Anything, anything to add? You've had a week to digest it. You've had well. I
1: mean, if the older fans are disagreeing with it, then I mean that's that's fair because I wasn't around to watch all those games. So 2015
0: Bills Bills Week 17.
1: This is the discussion we were having. So let me explain why I would choose this one for specifically the title of more embarrassing. Using that word specifically, I think this is more embarrassing because that was just the Seahawks game talking about is the icing on the cake of this collapse you just lost on prime time to trevor lawrence the guy who you choked away in 2020 and now you proceed to back that up by losing to your former hopeful franchise quarterback getting knocked out of the playoffs by them in a wire to wire completely listless zero effort from the zero first heart play. game from the very first play of the game that to me is embarrassment 2015 was disappointing and it was tough and it sucked but it wasn't as embarrassing because they're still a 10 and six team, and you know obviously the game was you know it was it was a bad loss but it was a close loss it wasn't like they gave no effort or you know were completely outplayed so i I, I, I think that was bad this one was more embarrassing
0: do you want to hear a hot take i have and you let me know what you what you think sure i i see and hear that a lot where they're like lifeless performance no effort no heart and i'm always just kind of like what does that really mean? Does that just mean they lost? I mean, because it's not like they're running any slower or trying any I, I
1: agree. I shouldn't have said those
0: things. Well, no, but I mean, true. there are some times. like it's Revis just narrative. In, it's just Revis narrative. in 2016, Muhammad Wilkerson in 2016. Like, there are times where you see guys loafing, and even in that Seahawks game, there was a play by CJ Mosley that I got kind of upset about because it did kind of appear like he was jogging. That, that is but, true. That but for the most weird. part, it's like, all right, Jordan Whitehead comes downhill screaming to try to blow up the, the first run play of the the game, and he just whiffs, and then they run for sixty yards. Is that a heartless, no effort performance, or is that they just lost? You know what I mean? Like yeah, there's that's, plays like that's that.
1: True. I agree. I, I shouldn't use those descriptions because I'm generally hundred percent on page, on the same page as what you said. Because usually it's just guys getting outplayed at football more than guys not trying. I mean.
0: Yeah, it's like a a narrative thing that fans say. Yeah, it's a narrative thing. I
1: I mean, I will say about this game, it did feel like they were, you know, were just a step slow with the energy throughout the game. I mean, that was just kind of the vibe. But, you know, that just comes as a result of, you know, like you look at the first run play of the game. Like, was that guys not trying? I don't think so, because if you rewatch it, it's more like Jordan Whitehead and Carl Lawson kind of overplaying their gaps. So if anything, it's them trying too hard. So. You know. And then
0: an offense like Mike White is, you know, trying to be the calming presence. So it's, you know, of, of course he's not like trying to rah-rah his guys in the huddle. Like he, you know, he, he's trying to calm them down and I don't know. You could make the argument that they, yeah, you see the, like they look unprepared. It's like, that's another thing that's hard to gauge. I mean, if they're blowing assignments and coverage maybe and dropping passes and missing blocks, I mean, I guess you, you could make an argument to unprepared, but I see the, the heart and the effort and all that stuff question. I'm like, all right, I mean, I don't, I don't yeah. know if that's, that's fair. I mean, especially in general, I
1: think that should be avoided unless there's an egregious example of a guy not trying.
0: You can say this though. It was an embarrassing performance, regardless of if it was the effort or they just got outplayed. It was an embarrassing, very on brand for the same old Jets crowd. Um, and like you said, I mean, it, it's embarrassing when you zoom out and you see the collapse of the season, you know, but the truth of the matter is this wasn't the same team after losing Brees and T the season ended when those two guys went down because even, even that Broncos game, I mean, they barely held on and beat the Broncos. And the only reason they did was because of Brees and AVT having that long touchdown to open up the game, but they had the, the upset win against the, the bills. And then, with Mike White, they beat the worst team in football in the Chicago Bears. But outside of that, they lost every single game after losing those two guys. I mean, it was it was a completely different team. And it would be interesting to have seen how the season would have played out if those two guys stayed healthy. Because could they have ridden that formula that they had against uh, Miami and against Green Bay and at the start of the Denver game for an entire season? Maybe not. But I, I will say, as the, as the games get colder and you play December football, Having Brees Hall and AVT, I think they would have won those some of those games. And I don't know. So it changed their whole it's too hard to overcome losing your two best offensive players when you're already struggling at quarterback and not having a great offense in the first place. To lose your two best offensive players and try to overcome that after losing your starting tackle and training camp, it's it's hard. It's it's certainly hard. Um that's in so the, the
1: Seattle game, I guess. But yeah, we should talk about Mike White a little bit. Um, For yeah, me, I think. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. For me, I think after rewatching it, he should not have played in this game. And I don't know if that's something that could have been seen beforehand because, you know, he was cleared, obviously, you know, officially, medically, he was cleared to play. And I'm sure if you ask him, he would say he was 100 percent fine, no pain and all that. But I think you could see in this game he was not the same player and who would be after you took those hits the last time he was out there I mean remember watching him struggling to you know breathe and get up after he took that one hit from Matt Milano I mean who wouldn't be affected by that but he broke um, five ribs <laughs> Yeah I mean I think I just think they put him out there too early cuz he didn't look like the same player um just when the because the biggest thing that made him impressive to me of those first three games was the way he was willing to stand in there and make throws under pressure and take hits and it's something he needs to do to be well because he's not a good athlete he's not going to make guys miss or extend plays with his athleticism so the way that he mitigates the pressure is by throwing directly through it by standing in there and not allowing it to affect him so if he doesn't have that ability he's going to rattle under the pressure and that's what happened in the Seahawks game because He wasn't willing to throw those through those hits. He was, you know, fading away from throws. He was, you know, rotating his body to avoid the contact a little bit. Uh, There were even, you know, like the interception he threw, there are times where he's bailing the pocket, which is something he never does. Um, So he's clearly just, I think, more so mentally than physically not ready to be out there. So at halftime, I would have, yeah, I think halftime is when I would have changed it because going in, maybe you don't really know how he's going to react, but it became clear pretty quickly. And then later in the week or after the game, Salah says that on that sack at the end of the first half, he got, you know, further injured himself and he was in pain at halftime. And they knew that and they still put him out there again. So I really Yeah, because he took understand. that dumb hit right at the end of the yeah. half and they were trying to do. Right at the end of the half. when he For he no reason. It. When they were For just
0: no like running a meaningless drive when they are backed up in their own five to, I mean, there's, I don't know. I guess they yeah, had the, the first they got half a field goal. Like, sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, the first half he had was shaky, but the second half he had was Bad. way worse. I mean, the stretch he had in the second half is some of the worst quarterbacking this might sound our classic word. Might sound here comes here it comes, here it comes. Oh, it's so. legitimately one of the worst quarterbacking stretches I've ever seen. I mean, there was a stretch in the third quarter where I think I had seven plays in a row where I graded him negatively when I was going through grading all his plays. There were there were a lot of open throws in the Seahawks game, and he just had miss after miss after miss. So he was definitely a half, if not before the game. I understand, you know, prior to the game, it might have been hard to notice that he wasn't going to be the same player, but at halftime, it absolutely should have changed. So, and, and I know this is a tough thing to do because you hype up Mike White and you want him to come back and be the savior. We all wanted him to be that, but it only took one half to see that he wasn't that same player at, at that time. Yeah, And they should have made the change to Flacco in my opinion after rewatching, yeah,
0: it. I think you could see that, look, you don't want to blame everything on the injury. I do think it's, it is fair to say he looked completely different than we had seen him in the three games. And it's not like, you know, the Vikings defense, I know they're not great on paper, but they played a damn good game and against him. And right. you saw him make tight window throw, big money throw, under pressure throws. You saw that against Buffalo. And then, yeah, I know the Chicago Bears, the Chicago Bears, but you still saw him play high-level quarterbacking in a monsoon. So you don't want to throw that out. And I think it is something to consider this offseason um, in terms of whether or not they can bring him back because those three performances might allow a team to – want to pay him a little bit you know not maybe not to be a starter but maybe maybe there's a team out there um like the saints or somebody who's like you know what this mike white guy we we really like him we think he can fit in our system and you know that they give him a a sizable contract and if the jets go in and chase a Derek carr or i don't even want to say it but like a aaron Rodgers or lamar jackson or somebody that caliber does it make sense to pay them then pay mike white a reasonably not, not he's not gonna get crazy money but what do you think like eight ten million dollars maybe a year yeah, you could get six, that six yeah. six million. i don't know six to ten million dollars a year and have your number two overall pick as your third string quarterback that might be tough if they go with the jimmy g route i think they could bring mike white back but um anything else it's going to be hard because you can't rely on you, you mike white can't be your plan a and you know he maybe can be plan b um, but the Jets are in a tough position with him because I think they like him. The players clearly like him, and I do think I do think you can develop Mike White into a solid quarterback. I mean, he's not going to be Patrick Mahomes, obviously, but I think Mike White, at the very least, you could have a top-level backup and a guy that, you know what, hey, he can win some games. He actually can be that Jimmy Garoppolo, but the Jets aren't in a position to be betting on Mike White, so it, it puts him right. in a tough spot. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, look, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: I think the thing for me with Mike White was he was always going to be up against the challenge of that small sample that he was going to get this season. And that was true before he got injured, when he was only going to get a max of seven games. But then you lose two. Now you're looking at only five games. So, you know, Jets next year are going into a playoffs or bust season. So for him to prove that he should be the guy going into a season like that, the only way I think he could have done that is if he was good in pretty much every yeah every single game this season and got them to the playoffs. Um, but now you throw yeah. in the Seattle game, and, you know, I think he was hurt, so that definitely gives him some benefit of the doubt. But it still happened. It was still really, and really you know bad, And so. he still had some mental yeah. lapses, too. You can say it yeah. affected yeah, his accuracy. Well. It right.
0: definitely affected his willingness to stay in the pocket. He did look skittish. He, you know, he was maybe getting rid of the ball earlier than maybe he would have wanted to or if he was healthier he would have maybe been more comfortable to go through his progressions you can make all sorts of excuses and it definitely did impact his performance but at the end of the day he still had a few mental lapses in there and a few throws in there that you know make you scratch your head right yeah so
1: with that performance in there you know now you can't trust him enough to be the guy but those other three games still exist and i still think they're very impressive and I, I do think his potential will be a starting quarterback i mean to go back to that lions packers game again i'm watching jared Goff and i'm and i'm thinking you know why can't mike white do this you know be this kind of quarterback in the modern league who could be an efficient starter um without amazing athletic ability just based on the mental skills and the pocket uh, abilities so i think he's that kind of potential and we'll see if you know another team likes him enough to give him money that prices him out of being a backup for the jets i think potentially someone could do that um but if not i would absolutely like to have him back as a backup
0: all right michael i have i have two more things for us but i'll keep them brief uh one game very quick game because we have all off season to really discuss this but um we're gonna we're gonna play a little game of stay or go okay I'm i'm gonna read off some names and some some current jets right now and I just want you to make your initial prediction on January 8th without going okay. back and, and watching. Yeah. And just, will this guy be on the Jets or, or not in 2023? I like okay. it. Ready?
1: Wait, so Michael? prediction or opinion?
0: Mm, both, maybe. Let's go get both. with prediction. Okay, fine. Prediction. That's probably more All interesting. Right. All right. Prediction. Yeah. But if if you disagree with your prediction, go ahead and say so, Okay. Okay. Michael Floor, stay or go? Stay. I would tend to agree with that. I think he's here. Rob Calabrese, stay or go? Go. I would agree with that. John Benton, stay or go? This is tough because he is he highly respected. Yeah, veteran
1: coach. I mean, he did do a good job with the Niners. Can't take that away. I mean, that's what's so frustrating. He's like, he can't, you know, he's leading that Niners group. For those four years,
0: how so, much of it's personnel? How much of yeah, it is how coaching? Much
1: personnel, injuries. Um, I'm going to say go, though. And, and there was also the, you know, he had the DUI at the start of last year, which isn't, definitely isn't the best look. So if you yeah. have that and you're not coaching well, it's like you kind of are walking in on thin ice there. I'm going to say I'm gonna,
0: go. I'm going to say stay, but it's, you know, it's 50 50. Brent Boyer.
1: This is an interesting one. It's one I was thinking about because, you know, he's obviously he's this is a guy who, you know, is respected. He survived through three regimes. Special he's teams go so long.
0: The uninitiated.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's had great years. Even just last year, they were a great special teams. But this year was really bad for the special teams for the most part, other than the Cleveland game and Zerline having a solid season. It was bad. So do you hold him accountable for that? Or you give him leeway because of the success he's had in the past? Um, I'm going to say he stays.
0: Hardy's a pro bowler. Not that that should really matter. But, yeah, I mean, Bra- the Braidman experiment is over. Although it's funny that he had, like, his best game yeah. of the year, arguably, against Miami today. I mean, Barrios
1: um, tried to convince us, but yeah. we're not buying
0: it. I think Barrios is probably back next year, too. But... We'll see. We'll get, to, we'll get to that one. They always say, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he is on this list. Um, sh- I, This is supposed to be quick. I'll say go. Only because he wasn't Sala's initial, you know, he wasn't. I, I think Sala's going to be pressured into making some staff changes, and he he inherited Brandt Boyer. But I, I, either way, I could go either way on that one. It's 50-50. But they did block a few punts. I don't know yeah go okay fine zach wilson do you think a team potentially trades for him like the saints
1: no i think it'll still be here
0: all right i agree carl lawson stay or go who by the way sneaky seven sacks had some pressures i mean we've been dumping on him because it doesn't feel like he's taken over any games but you know another year from the achilles injury it's it's, it is safe to assume he might be even better next year maybe they restructure him
1: i'm gonna say go just because they're they don't have they need to find ways to get cap space and yeah. make some upgrades and they do have the biggest thing is they have a pipeline at this position you can he can go when you have guys who you're developing there so right that's why i
0: i agree with you on this one Corey davis
1: this is a tough one too So it's another cap space opportunity i'm gonna say stay though because i think he's so key for the run game mm-hmm.
0: i uh i'm gonna say stay as well I think that there's a chance. The only way I see the Jets moving out from Corey Davis is if it depends what they do at offensive line. Like, let's say they, they sign a guy like Mike McGlinchey at right tackle. Maybe they're confident in Becton or whatever. But if they get into the draft and a guy like Quentin Johnson falls to 13, I could see the Jets taking him and trading Corey Davis. I, think, I don't think the Jets cut Corey Davis. I don't think, you know, for, for $10 million, what you get is you get a great run blocker, which is nice in the system. And a veteran. I know he's had some drops, but he's still a good receiver. And with better quarterback play, you'd see that. He made some clutch catches this year. I think he stays. But if somebody falls in the draft, maybe they make an upgrade there. Jordan Whitehead, stay or go. They can free up, I think, $7 million by cutting him. But he is young. They did rave about him in the training camp. It does seem like the coaches like him. Again, continuity, continuity. First year in the system, but pretty bad. What do you think? Stay or go?
1: Yeah, I mean, this one might be a little influenced by my opinions of his play but i'm gonna i'm gonna say go i i think he is it's kind of underrated how much he struggled
0: this year i would hope these opinions are influenced by your opinions of, of his play um i'm gonna say stay he seems like the type of guy that the jets uh that's all my back give him another year here and i do feel like he could you know maybe draft somebody behind him if he's not good i don't know but that is a, another place they could free up some cap space. Uh, Lake and Tomlinson, stay or go? will operate under the stay. assumption you're you're right about stay.
1: Yeah. You think he's? I, I just have I just have every hunch that he's not. They're not going. Got, yeah.
0: I, yeah. I, I I actually do agree with that. I was I was looking forward to us disagreeing on on one, but why well, I know we have it before, but uh, yeah, I think he's here. Braxton Berrios, stay or go?
1: This is interesting. I've been pulling up the contracts here while we've been going through it. And some of these deals, like they can't get out super easily. Like even Whitehead, 3 million dead money if you cut him with a 7.3 savings. I mean, the uh, question
0: is, could you sign a strong safety for $7 million that is better than Jordan Whitehead?
1: Right. And then Barrios is the same thing where it's like, you know, you're mostly saving the money, but you're still paying him uh, dead money of 3.2 3.2 million what do you say if you cut him uh save 5 million so you know mm. some of these aren't the you know for a guy who is you know obviously not a good player but it's not like he's a starter or anything
0: I don't know to about pay 3
1: million to not be there is he, he was the a easiest decision le- in the world
0: he was a letdown this year he was pretty great at the end of last year he has i, I like you know I think as a receiver number five, you're kind of happy with them. I do think they need to bring in a, a better receiver number four, though, that they can be happy with. You know, somebody oh, in yeah, that Denzel I Mims role. I kind
1: of feel like Burials will be back, but they also kind of removed him from the offense at the end of the year. I'm going to say he comes back, but I don't agree with that. I say stay. C.J. Mosley. I mean, I don't see how he could go anywhere, right? They yeah. already restructured I'd him. I'd put him on.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, they could maybe work something out, but I think he stays. That'll, yeah, I don't see him going anywhere. His counterpart, Quincy Williams. it be interesting to watch Quincy is, because it's very I, interesting. I could see some team out there trying to give Quincy. Because both uh, him and Quan being. You have Quan on here as well? Yeah, we're getting to Quan. Uh, you want to group them
1: together and just say which of them? Okay, either, fine. Quincy either and Quan. or.
0: Well, because, I think both. Well, they, I'm they could, go with both. Both stay or both go? Both stay. Here's the tough thing about Quincy. He's a young player, you know, with somewhat of a draft pedigree, who has an athletic profile, has made some flash plays, including the last Jets defensive play of the year. He had a nice stuff on a Miami Dolphins run. I could see a team out there who overpays Quincy Williams. He's kind of the type of player that gets overpaid in free agent, young, flashy. You know, like think back to the Jets. Uh, what's his name? Draw Davidson. They give him like ten million dollars or something. Speaking of bad Joe Douglas agent signings, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Last year it was the first signing he gave. I could see a team out there trying to give Quincy Williams a lot of money. And by a lot, I mean you know, eight million dollars a year, nine million dollars a year, ten million like around that range. And I don't know if he's worth it. But I think Quincy's going to want to stay with Quinnen. How they treat Quincy might affect Quinnen's the way you know, trying to pay Quinn in according to Rich Zimini. I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. I think he ultimately stays, but I don't know if the Jets should be ponying up money to keep him around. If they get in a bidding war, I, he does kind of seem somewhat. I don't want to say expendable, but he's not the type of player that you, you can feel comfortable paying. I don't know. nine, ten million million. If, if you get right. in a bidding war with a team, no, like, I, I, I agree.
1: Know. Yeah. I mean, my thing with the linebackers is just looking at the linebacker market the past few years, it's kind of the opposite of what, what's happening wide receiver. Everyone knows how expensive the receivers have gotten, but if you look at linebackers, it's going the opposite way. No one's paying these guys anything. I mean, the Jets just got Quan, a guy who is very talented, you know, pass game oriented player. He was still in his prime you know, one year, 1.2 million. Kyle Van Noy, another accomplished player. I'm, just look in some of the names here. One year, $2.2 million. Uh, and I, I know the uh, Jayon Brown one one year, 1. $1.2. So it's like linebackers aren't getting paid a lot in the league right now. So I think the Jets, they're going to prioritize other positions quarterback, O line. And defensively, I think safety will be number one. So they don't have a ton of cap space. They're going to prioritize other spots. So I think at linebacker, they're going to value that continuity. I think they will find a way to get both of them back affordably but i totally see what you're saying quincy could be that guy who gets someone to bite on the potential
0: um i i agree though i do think they're both back Connor mcgovern i say he's gone
1: yeah i think so i think they're gonna really try to overhaul the
0: o-line uh we'll, we'll lump these two together dwayne brown and george fant now dwayne brown is actually still under contract for next year um it's possible he could retire they could cut him and i think they'd, they'd still have to pay him dead money but they'd free five million by cutting him What's top of my head something like they owe him six million and pay and free up five the only reason i think they might do that is to bring back a guy like george Fant, who i know isn't um maybe a guy you want to rely on as a starter but if you're feeling good about becton you could say, okay, let's cut Dwayne Brown, free up the $5 million, bring back George Fant for a comparable deal, and then you got a, a Beckton fant combo at left tackle, you know, entering the draft or after, who knows? I don't know. You might you just feel better about Fant as the backup than Dwayne Brown at, at 40 years old, coming off torn rotator cuff surgery, but who knows? W- what's your stay-or-go prediction for those two? For
1: Brown, I mean, it's just a matter of if he retires or not, because... I mean, I don't think they're they're gonna release him because I'm looking at it here. It's more dead money than Cappy would say. Yeah, but they but they could free up five, right? Yeah. Um,
0: and that five million dollars sounds like nothing, but to pay a guy like George Fant.
1: Yeah, but you know we're talking about all these here, and it's like there's only so many guys that are gonna be able to do this with because you know there's only so much you could realistically take on with the dead money. It's not like. You do it for everybody, so um, I think Dwayne Brown's gonna stay. That's kind of my hunch.
0: He does, you know, good for the locker room. Maybe Nate Herbig, stay or go. Uh, Only, only a few more. Is he a free agent? Yes, he is. Twenty-four. He's twenty-four years Uh, old. Maybe not a perfect scheme fit, but had a great start to the year. Injured, restricted
1: or unrestricted, or I believe
0: he's restricted, but maybe not because the Eagles cut him and then the Jets claimed him.
1: Check it out right here. I'm going to pull it up. Nate Herbig is unrestricted. He's blah, interesting. Blah, blah, blah. I'm going to say go. I don't know. Because he he's one of the more competent of this mostly incompetent bunch of offensive linemen.
0: I think they bring him back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll say actually he comes back. I'll change it to that.
0: I think they, they should be able to get him back as a good depth piece. Not and as I think a starter. He's, I, think he's Tom, yeah, I think he's Tomlinson insurance as well. Because um, they're going to need somebody behind Tomlinson. Because if Tomlinson's sucking next year and they bring him back, they have to have somebody they can plug in and feel good about. Um, all right, three more. I threw him in here just because you, you texted me this. Michael Carter, the running back. This would, back, this would be back. This would be all the way into August. This would be all the way into August training camp cuts because he's not getting cut before then.
1: Right. I'm gonna make a bold prediction. I'm gonna say no.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna say stay. It's too early to predict it, but I nah. had to make
1: a bold one in here.
0: He needs. He needs a good. He needs a good uh, uh, training camp. Let's yeah.
1: Well, well look. I mean, I think Brees obviously is gonna be here. I think Knight played his way onto the team, uh, and if not guaranteed, I think he'll earn it in a camp slash preseason. And at least Carter against, you know, is Ty Johnson still signed here? We got to check on that real not. quick. Um, but Ty Johnson, he back back. Um, go. But uh, maybe they bring in another free agent. Or um, signing. I, or a I, I just think Carter this year plays his way to being a guy where he shouldn't be guaranteed a spot next year. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, two more. Sheldon Rankins. There you go. Very interesting one. A lot of money already guaranteed, or um, not guaranteed, but invested. Can I get in the here? D-line. I know. I just, I know. I just asked yeah. you.
0: I made this point to you. If the Jets want to take Carl Lawson's money, freeing up fifteen million, and they want to, I know they got to spread it around to other parts of the team, most likely the offensive line. But there is a route they could take. They could go invested into defensive tackle and go pay a guy named Javon Hargrave. There's a few other defensive tackles, but if you put an elite pass-rushing defensive tackle like Hargrave from the Eagles, because I think he has like 11 sacks this year, and you pair him next to Quinn and Williams, you force an interior one-on-one with either Quinn and or Hargrave. I mean, that defensive line with JFM and then Clemens and Johnson and Huff at edge, I mean... Defensive line would be unbelievable, but it uh, it seems like that's more of a luxury, especially considering yeah, the, yeah. the moves the Jets are going to have to make. But so I'll say Sheldon Rankins comes back. I think he stays. I think he was good this year. I agree. I think he will come back. I, I do like
1: your logic though. That's the type of move. Um, Cause sometimes teams make those outside the box moves. We always make our ideal plans. Let's check this. And let's just say that right now before we get into this off season, because we always fall into this trap specifically with a draft, I would say more, no so more. Free agency, but no more of the shopping list. They're going to get we're this, that, and that. It. We're going to look at every position. We know that everything's on Best the table. Best player available. Best player mm-hmm. available, both free agency and the draft. Everything's on the table. It's not just going to be like, running oh, back. our three-week positions. Uh, yeah, running back, we're going to get B. John Robinson in the first round. That's yeah. what we're going to do. Um, no, other than that, we're going to keep everything on the table.
0: All right, last one. This may pain you, Michael. Braid man the OG he's out of here yeah (laughs) get the fuck out of here (laughs) Spider-Man all right Um, last thing this isn't really is this is just a small thing before we enter it this was kind of a not a downer of an episode but you know end of the season talking sad we'll uh, we'll have well I'll get to that after the plugs exciting offseason to look forward to Michael Uh, why should Jets fans stay around you know we got the next few months here I don't know. Elevator pitch, sales pitch, Michael, in, in terms of... I almost want you to say this to yourself. Why should we stay around here? What What is there to look forward to these next few months? I, I know I can do it. I think I can sell it, but I'd like to hear from you, Michael.
1: So as a, a Jets off-season. fan in general or for listening? To yeah,
0: it's a, well, meaning Like looking ahead to the offseason, it yeah. feels like a lot of Jets fans are all down and depressed about the team, but Surprise, surprise. The way I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, you know, obviously season collapsed, but they were in a good position. They get a lot of guys back that I'm very excited about next year. So the Jets have picks 13 and 39. They'll be able to free up some cap room. And it's not another off season of, of, you know, oh, this is a young team. They're just trying to get a little bit better. This is an off season of there's some hot seats out there. Let's go make a playoff push. Let's see some big swings. You know, you might see some big trades some big signings. I don't know. So I wanted to hear from you Michael, why should Jets fans stick around and be excited about this offseason? Try to sell them. If you can't sell them, you don't have to. Okay. I, I, I want to think something I positive. Something. I want to think positive. I do, something I do positive. have something. Uh, I think I'm
1: cooking something good. Okay. So, all right, if you're listening to me right now, we are probably, I don't know, how far are we into this podcast? At least an hour and a half. An
0: hour and a half. 15, 16, 17 15 like
1: minutes, so at least 75 minutes you've been listening to us after the Jets just lost six games in a row uh, to fall from 7-4 to 7-10. And and you just watched Joe Flacco put up a six-point master class in Miami yeah, against Skylar Thompson. So if you're still listening to me after all that, then you are a diehard New York Jets fan, and you are not going anywhere no matter what happens ever for this franchise. So, just let that sink <laughs> in. That's you're why stuck. I think you would stick around. You are stuck. Right, that's you're depressed. in at this point. So, you might as well go all in. And this is the most fun part of the year. This is where everyone's zero and zero. This is where and we shine, just, baby. This is where we shine.
0: You know, season podcasts were new for making us.
1: Moves, roster building. This is this is where it's fun, you know, because on the field, you know, that could go either way for the Jets, you know, or, or let's say it just goes one way for the most part. <laughs> um, but off season, it's like, you know, this is where we win. This is where we get great draft grades. This yeah. is where we get the free agents we want. And then we got a quarterback pursuit this off season. Off season is fun. You know, just the roster construction aspect. It's like, you're kind of building, yeah, you know, Madden it's, GM. Like a, yeah, it's like man GM kind of, you feel like the mastermind, uh, on top of everything. So I don't know. I guess that would be my pitch. If you're still listening to this right now, right. you're not going anywhere. So you might as well stick around and try to help, you know, ride with us through this journey as we try to figure out how to make things right. I'll say future.
0: this. I'll say this. This was a top five defense that I think will only get better. I mean, obviously the rookies this year were unbelievable. I've never seen the type of rookie season that Sash Gardner had the type of rookie season that Garrett Wilson had and the type of season that rookie season that Brees Hall was on track to have. So the jets knocked that 2022 draft class out of the park. Cause they finally have some stars. They finally have some pieces. I think this defense is only going to get better because I think they're going to add a better safety. I think I, hopefully you see Jermaine Johnson and, and Michael Clemens continue to develop. Um, but regardless, okay, you have a good, de- you have a great defense. Then you look at the offense, and I think, yeah, I think this is finally the offseason where the Jets are going to go get their key beat. I do think they're going to trade for Derek Carr or sign Derek Carr. I do think that's kind of the move they're going to make. I'm um, on the fence as is, is whether or not it'll be Derek Carr or Jimmy Garoppolo. But my hunch is Derek Carr. I think, look, You know, maybe to some fans, he doesn't sound as exciting because he's not Josh Allen or he's not Patrick Mahomes. But this is still a quarterback who is a damn good quarterback. And we just saw the Rams win a Super Bowl with Matthew Stafford. You see what Kirk Cousins is doing this year. I think he's that level of quarterback. We'll get a lot more into Derek Carr this offseason and Jimmy Garoppolo and those whole whole moves. But the thing to look forward to is this is an exciting offseason because I think they're going to take some big swings. They have a great defense. It's just about go find that quarterback and build up the offensive line. And then next year you get the return of AVT. You get the return of Brees Hall and who knows, maybe they even get the return of Makai Becton all to pair with the second year sauce, the second year Garrett, the development of Jermaine Johnson, the development of a lot of these young players. And I don't know. I'm, I'm excited about the 2023 jets. I really do think that that, I do think they you're going to take a, a leap next year. sounds like they maybe even get some retro eighties uniforms. We'll see for, for a throwback. Look, I don't know about the full-time look, um, but yeah, I think I think the pursuit of the quarterback and and the draft moves and stuff will be fun. Um, and yeah. All right, you can follow us to a J Pod on Twitter, you can follow Michael at Michael underscore nanny and myself, Ben W Blessington. Go to jetsxfactor.com. best place to go for Jets content. Subscribe to the YouTube. Uh please, if you can rate review, subscribe on iTunes, it helps the pod out a ton, especially if you enjoyed listening to us this season. Michael and I were fairly consistent right up until the end <laughs> without doing the Seahawks pod, but we're still working out what the off-season schedule is. Uh The one thing we do promise is we will announce it. I, in years past, we've kind of just disappeared in January, February, and then come back at the start of March and be like, "Hey, everybody, let's talk free agents." We won't do that this this uh, this off-season. We may take a break at some point, but we'll announce it. We'll plan it. We still have a podcast. I want we had, we had to do the superlative podcast. So I want to run through that 2022 awards, go through that, and then. um uh, we do have some plans for some big interviews we got to add to the front of the pod list so i'm excited for that we're gonna have some i think michael and i are, are at our best when we do those hyper focused podcasts so you can expect a a Derek carr podcast and a jimmy garoppolo podcast and maybe a zach wilson pod, you know those types of podcasts i think that's where we're at that's where we're at our best so looking forward to that and that should take us all the way up until the free agency and draft coverage and that is like you said michael where we're at our best so With that being said, thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you to everybody for sticking with us this 2022 season. We had a blast. We got a lot of new listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you, a bunch of soldiers out there for watching this team and then listening to 80 minutes of two Jets nerds talk about it. So we appreciate it. Thank you. Have a great evening. Have a great week. We'll be back next Monday.